In the name of Jesus. Amen. Generally, a song would stop at death, but not a Christian hymn. <laughs> we keep singing. Right through the grave, all the way to the resurrection. On that final day, when all the dead are waking, stretch out, stretch out your mighty hand, my deathly slumber breaking, and then let me hear your voice. Redeem this earthly frame and bid me to rejoice with those who love your name. In the midst of all the troubles of this life, in the midst of all the ups and downs, in the midst of all of the sin and temptation, sickness and death, this is our hope, dear saints, the hope of the resurrection. The day where there will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more temptation. Indeed, no more death at all. But until then, we hear the Lord's voice in the midst of sin, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of temptation. And that is the voice that Jesus gives us today. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The Jews hated the Samaritans. That's one reason this parable stings so much. It would have stung to the people that Jesus was preaching to. When a Samaritan is the hero of a story, that's just not right. Here's this man on his way up to Jerusalem and he's beaten and he's naked and he's lying half dead in the dusty ditch and a priest comes by and sees him and goes around. A Levite comes along and does the same thing and then a Samaritan comes and the Samaritan has compassion. He pours out his own oil and wine on the man's wounds. He puts him on his own animal and walks, leading him along to the inn. He arranges a room for him, takes care of him, gives gives uh, uh, money to the innkeeper and says if he needs anything else, give it to him and I'll provide it on the way back also. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, where the Lord tells the people to love your neighbor as yourself, is the most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It's all over the place. And this Samaritan is an example of that love. But this would have made the people listening to Jesus cringe. They would be there listening to Jesus and they would have asked themselves this question, if you can imagine it. They would ask themselves this question. Would it be better to die naked in the ditch or to be saved by a Samaritan? This type of hatred seems like insanity to us. How did it get this way between the Jews and the Samaritans? There's a bit of history. The Samaritans, after all, are a, a mixed group of people. You remember the, how the Bible tells the history. King Solomon died in the year 931 or so B.C. And after his death, the kingdom of Israel split apart into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was Israel and the southern kingdom was Judah. And Jeroboam was king in the north. His whole agenda as king was to keep the kingdoms divided. And so to do that, he built two altars, one at Dan and one at Bethel. And he placed golden calves there where people would worship the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. That's what Jeroboam said. But it wasn't a divinely appointed worship. He, he built those two temples so that the people wouldn't keep going down to Jerusalem and worshiping in the temple there. 
The northern kingdom then, beginning with Jeroboam and all the way through, has wicked king after wicked king marked by idolatry until God finally sends uh, his punishment to them. It's in the year uh, 722. I didn't do the math. That must be about uh, 209 years later that the Assyrian king, Sargon II, came in and demolished the northern kingdom. And he said... Tens of thousands of the Israelites scattered across his huge, massive kingdom. And, and what he did was he imported people from all of these foreign countries to colonize the region. And that, those people, the ones brought in by Sargon II to colonize Israel, that's the Samaritans. Ethnically, they are not from Abraham. They are not Israelites. They're foreigners. And religiously... They're a mix of the idolatrous Israelite worship of Jeroboam and paganism imported from the other countries. And they are there right in the land that God was supposed to give to Israel. A Jewish person then uh, looked at the Samaritans as a mark of God's judgment and despised them for it. A Jewish person would become unclean if they walked through a Samaritan region. A Jew would never talk to a Samaritan, much less ever touch one to greet them or shake their hand, anything like this. The commandments that God gave to, 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 uh, to love your neighbor, to help your neighbor, to don't steal from your neighbor, to honor your neighbor's name, to, 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 to give all in loving your neighbor, the Jews would never consider the Samaritans to be their neighbor and the people that they were obligated to love. They had their, and you remember how this goes, they had their neighbor list. And the Samaritans were not on the list. They were not people that they had to love. The Samaritans were not under any obligation from the Jews to be cared for by them. But this history doesn't explain the whole, uh, the whole reason that things get the way they are. The history, after all, is not enough to explain this kind of seething hatred that the Jews still had at the time of Jesus. In fact, the history is really an excuse, and the real trouble is in the conscience. Imagine, if you would, uh, that you have a court courtroom somewhere inside of you, in your belly or in your heart or your mind. You put it wherever you want. You've got a courtroom there. And you and your works are in the dock. They're being judged. And there's a... a there's a prosecutor in that little courtroom, and that prosecutor is the law. And there's a judge standing, holding forth in that court, and that judge is God. That, dear saints, is your conscience. When you do something wrong, your conscience judges that deed, that act, that sin. And you feel guilty. You know that feeling. The, the, the voice of your conscience when you realize what you've done wrong, and, and that, that kind of sinking, ugh, that's the conscience judging you. And it's doing when it does that what it's supposed to. But your conscience, remember, can be wrong. In fact, and this is, and this is really what, what Jesus is getting at in the text, our consciences are open and very susceptible to manipulation, to external influence. And the strongest influence on our own conscience is our culture. The conscience has a reflective character of our peers. The morality especially of our friends. This is why the complaint that our society, our culture, is getting worse 
is important for us to consider. As the morality of society changes, our own conscience reflects it. And now something that is wrong in the Lord's word is no longer considered wrong or bad in our own conscience. For example, and this is just one example, as our society loses all sense of what it means to be husband and wife, and when sexuality has broken out of the bonds of marriage where God intended it to be, our conscience has changed. And what's wrong doesn't seem wrong to us. We can sin without feeling guilt. This is true of all of the major uh, social and moral issues that we face in our day. As abortion becomes acceptable, society uh, in the society, it no longer uh, seems like there's guilt when there's sin. The conscience uh, is numbed by culture for what's right and wrong. This, by the way, is why it is so important to have friends that are Christians, to have friends from church. People that you can talk to through the week about important things, about right and wrong, about up and down, because these friends are actually helping shape your conscience. They keep, they, they help you keep what's right and wrong, right and wrong in this courtroom that you have. Now, if you've lived for a while, that's a nice way of saying if you're old, <laughs> you've seen this change. You've seen the morality of the culture shift or slide or fall or whatever. And it's a frightful sort of thing. Uh, I think if you were just to look at culture, the culture of the United States over the past 30 years, we could all say that generally things are getting worse. And I think almost all of you would agree with me. But there is one place that I think the morality of our culture today has actually improved over the past 30 years. Now, this might be a surprise. One place where something that was not considered a sin 30 years ago is now considered a sin rightly today. You want to guess? Racism. My own conscience as a young man, or generally a young man, is very, very sensitive to this. To the crime of judging a person based on their race, on the color of your of their skin. If you are older, your conscience is probably not as sensitive to this. And that is precisely what happened to the Jews. Hating the Samaritans had become accepted, normal, even good. The consciences of the Jewish people had become hardened to all of the people of the Samaritans. And Jesus is bringing the law of God to bear on that sin. Racism. A sin that had become in the eyes of the Jews a good work. Make no mistake about it. Jesus in the parable of the Good Samaritan is preaching against racism. Your neighbor list, says Jesus, is too small. You have excused yourself from loving an entire group of people. And this, in the eyes of God, is terrible. So now, dear saints, we have this thing to consider. And our own conscience. Where is your conscience blinded or hardened? Who have you taken off of your own neighbor list? Who have you freed yourself from the obligation to love? 
Are you a racist? Repent. Is there someone in your past, an old friend, a family member, someone somewhere in your own history that you think is undeserving of your love? Repent. Is there someone, anyone, somewhere that you have marked off your neighbor list? A person that is your neighbor, that you have the command from God to love them, but you have stopped loving them and stopped trying to love them and stopped even thinking that you ought to love them. Repent. Turn from your wickedness. Listen to God's law. Where your own conscience is wrong, Listen to God's law. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no exceptions. None at all. Your example here is Jesus. Jesus would have been right, justified, in marking you off of his list. In fact, justice, divine justice, gave Jesus the obligation of judging you, not loving you, but look what Jesus does for the Jews, for the Samaritans, for you. He is stripped and he is beaten and he is hung on the cross for you. To love you, to forgive you, to heal you, to have you, to keep you as his own. Jesus has a neighbor list and on it is everyone in the world and that means you. He came to you who he should not have come to. He died for you whom He should not have died for. He suffered for you, sinner, that He should not have suffered for, but He did it because He loves you and He still loves you. You remember that conscience of yours, that courtroom that's inside of you, that you're in the dock and the law is there as the prosecutor and God is the judge? Well, your Jesus is there too as your defense. He stands before the throne of God and he argues on your behalf. And he does not argue in your conscience and in the courtroom of God, he does not argue that you have done all things well, but that he has done all things well. He does not argue that you are innocent, but that you are forgiven. He does not argue that you are good enough to be in His presence. He argues that He was dead enough to save you, that He bled and died for you, that He suffered the punishment that you deserve already. The blood of Jesus testifies to God the judge in the courtroom of your conscience and in the courtroom of heaven. And God the Father hears His testimony. And he declares you, dear sinner, he declares you to be innocent. He declares you to be holy. He declares you to be forgiven. In the midst of all all the trouble of this world, on the outside of us, in the culture, 
on the inside of us in our own conscience. Our comfort and our peace in the midst of all of this is Jesus. Jesus, who considers you to be his neighbor and who dies for you. Amen. And now may the peace, the peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.